Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at indivisibleradio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag indivisibleradio or leave us a voicemail at indivisibleradio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is Indivisible, public radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. From WNYC Radio, I'm Kai Wright. Good evening. And I'm Anne McElvoy, here from The Economist. And I'm John Prudeau, also here from The Economist. That's right. You heard it correctly. We have three hosts tonight. Normally, Anne and John rotate in co-hosting with me on Monday nights, but all three of us are here tonight because, well, it's our last night together. It's very sad. But we've been convening this discussion for the first 100 days of the Trump administration, and this is day 95. So we are nearing the end. This is the final week of Indivisible. And we tonight will not have a guest. It'll just be the three of us and all of you. You are our guests. We want you to think of it that way. We want to hear your closing thoughts on this. We'll ask a few questions throughout the night, and later we'll specifically be asking for military families to call us. That's that's later in the hour. But first, for now, we want to know if anybody has changed their minds about anything in this first hundred days. What did you believe about your politics 100 days ago that you're not so sure about now? Call us at 844-745-TALK. That's 844 745 8255 or tweet us using the hashtag indivisible radio trump voters have you changed your mind about the man you voted for not trump voters what about you have you changed your mind about the man you didn't vote for so let's hear from you 844-745-TALK that's 844-745-8255 and while your calls are coming in john you and i when we were preparing tonight's show we had a conversation about how we were personally feeling about the past hundred days and let the listeners in on how you were thinking you said something interesting So I think my thinking has changed a little bit. I'm a bit less worried about what the next four years could bring than I was when we first spoke right after the inauguration, when those executive orders were flying around. And it looked like the president might take what was a very narrow election victory and use it as a mandate to sort of reshape the country in really fundamental ways. That looks a bit less likely to happen now, and partly because President Trump hasn't proven overly competent at governing so far. So... (laughs) I've changed my views on that a little bit. Well, it's interesting John says that. You know, I I see perhaps because I spend more time looking at Donald Trump from other countries, in particular from uh, countries in in Europe and and also a bit from Russia. And I think Trump now looks like more of a threat to established ways of conducting politics internally in the US rather than abroad. And I had thought I might be concluding the opposite when we embarked on these shows and when perhaps my worry was that he was going to be the big disruptor on the international scene. Plenty to discuss there, but I'm seeing it a little bit the other way. Yeah, there is plenty to discuss there, Anne, and I'll be curious to hear from you about it because I have to say I I am the exact opposite of that. I I went into this. The one thing I bought, the one thing I thought, well, you know, is true. This is Trump's true belief is that he was a non-interventionist militarily and that, uh, you know, all Mm -hmm. the time he spent. Uh, rampaging against our involvement in the Iraq war. And I thought for sure 
he was not going to, in the first 100 days, uh, ratchet up any conflicts. And, and here we are. We've bombed Syria. Uh, we've rattled our sabers at North Korea. And, uh, you know, and, and I am, am, am put much less at ease than I, than I was on, on that score. But listeners, we want to hear from you on this. In particular, again, we want to hear from you if you were a Trump supporter who felt really, really strongly about his agenda and have any kind of concern now. It's, 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 is it changed in any way what you thought about it? And conversely, if you were absolutely opposed to his agenda, if you were like, this guy is the end of the republic, has that changed in any way for you over the past hundred days? Call us 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Or tweet using the hashtag Indivisible Radio. Excuse me, Indivisible Radio. What are you thinking about differently 100 days into the Trump administration? And importantly, why? What has changed your mind? 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. And let's get right to it. Mark in Douglas, Massachusetts. Is that correct, Mark? You're in Douglas, Massachusetts? Yes, I am. Well, welcome to Indivisible, Mark. You're on the air. What's what's changed for you? Well, I originally, during the campaign and after he became the nominee for the Republican Party, was a strong advocate for Donald Trump. I am a strong card-holding Republican, even though I am from New England, very Democratic. But right now, especially after the bombings in Syria, I am very against Trump and what the Republican Party is doing right now. Mm. And so, and, and when you say you're against him, is it that is it singularly the, the Syria thing you oppose, or have you turned on him altogether as a consequence of that? It, that was the main, basically that, to me, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, yeah. Because also, in my mind, I'm very, a very strong supporter of the constitutional, constitutionalist, and According to the Constitution, that is an act of war, and it was, under our laws, done illegally because it was done by him without any, without any support or anything through Congress and through the Senate. Mark, it's John here. Thanks for your call. Can I ask you a question? So you're a Republican who lives, as you say, in a heavily Democratic area. I'm interested to know, do you have any friends who are Democrats? And if so, have you found a way of talking about politics with them that doesn't just get into a shouting match really quickly? Well, yes. Yeah, so, well, of course, I have lots of Democratic friends, for I am from one of the bluest states in the Union and go to college in Massachusetts as well. And, yes, I am actually a very, well, part of somewhat of a dying breed of the old-term New England Republicans. So I am very open-minded and moderate on some terms. So I tend to listen and listen to other people's views before I speak my own, but can be more civil. Well, that's interesting. Thank Mark, you. Mark, before we let you go, when, what did you support about Trump in the, initially? Because that sounds, from the way you're describing yourself, that doesn't sound like a, a, a Trump supporter in the Republican Party, this sort of traditional-minded Republican. What was it that you were drawn to? Well, I supported the whole, I know this was like a derogatory term to some people, but make America great again as in focusing on our country, trying to make our country independent from, like, foreign oil, foreign businesses, and bring back the jobs to America so to put Americans back to work. Okay, well, thanks for calling, Mark. George from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Indivisible. You're on the air. Thanks. 
Yeah, I changed a little bit uh, in, a, in in this way. I was a big Cruz supporter going into the into the primaries. Uh, through the primaries, as a matter of fact, I was upset that Trump got it. I didn't. I thought Cruz was more uh, a true conservative. Um, and uh, but I've been impressed, and I, I didn't like a lot of the things. For example, I knew a lot of the things Trump was saying. He wasn't uh, necessarily 100 percent straightforward about, so I was concerned about what his direction was going to really be. Uh, but as this has been going on, I'm becoming more of a supporter because he's got a direction for the country, it seems. And even though he zigzags a little bit, I can see where a lot of that is tactical as opposed to, uh, you know, the fact that he's not making or not uh, heading toward a, uh, you know, a final goal and ultimately in the right direction. What, what specifically? I don't, think else, I don't think anybody would have survived in the in the. This first hundred days with the attacks he's been under, and I think anyone would have been under the way Trump has. When when you say you've been impressed, what and and, and with sort of his consistency, but are there any specific things that he has done that impressed you? Well, for example, he was talking about doing something with the Department of Education. I'm impressed with that. I do like the idea that uh, you know, with what he's been doing with the EPA, I, I, you know, when you look at the numbers, you know, when you look at the real statistics, uh, water vapor is more of a problem for the for the uh, environment than carbon dioxide is, and uh, you know we're focusing on carbon dioxide because it's something that they can tax, which is as you can see the money they're getting, you know, a lot of the uh, well look at Al Gore, you know, the money he's getting out of this. For, for what? Selling certificates? It's just a, it's absurd. And uh, I see George, a whole George, industry I, built around that. Sorry, I'm just, just uh, interested in putting you on the spot a bit. You put uh, Al Gore on the spot just a moment ago. Let, 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 me, uh, let me ask you, what reassures you so much about, you, you talk about a direction for Donald Trump, and I think that's a really interesting word, in, and some people say, oh, that direction is exactly what worries me. But there are so many contradictions, aren't there, to, to what Donald Trump says, and then sometimes appears to veer off track or not be interested in delivering. Is that something that you're conscious of, or does it just not matter so much to you when you judge a politician? Well, I, like I said, that was a concern going in, but it seems like he's moving forward in a zigzag sort of direction. And, and by that, I mean a lot of that might be strategy as opposed to the fact that, well, a lot of it's simply that. A lot of it might be strategy. He does seem to be doing a number of the things that have to be done. You know, the teachers union have been uh, controlling public education. The poorest people on the planet are on, I'm sorry, on the planet. The United States have been the folks that have been most negatively affected by the lack of choice in education. I like the fact that he's tackling that. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that no one else could do because... No one else could survive the heat like he has, and he takes. So you you see a well. method in in what he's doing, not not just a spontaneity, I suppose that that some people ascribe to him. It's interesting. Apparently, there is. Like I said, he seems to have been moving in the right direction. There's a number of other things that regulations that he's getting out of the way that really, if you look at them, don't mean anything. They don't have any positive impact. <laughs> Excuse me. Some of them were, were landmine sort of, thing, you know, where they would change the regulation for A, B, and C in terms of uh, toxicity, 
where, whereas if there was no scientific reason to do it, but it it uh, it gave a political point. It's the same reason why both both parties tend to do this, where they don't want to completely solve a problem. They just want to be able to rail against it in the next election, because when they solve it, it's no longer something that they can run on. I'm going to I'm yeah, going to let you go, George. That, that, thank you for that. But as as you can hear, we you know we've got a Cruz supporter who's a, who's who's now a Trump supporter, um, uh, and uh, and we're already getting some diversity of folks. Listeners, we're 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 asking. What, if anything, has changed for you in the last 100, 100 days? Is there anything about your politics that you believed or thought or felt 100 days ago that now you're, like, not so sure? Were you a Trump supporter and now you're not so sure? Or were, did you think Trump was the end and now you think, hey, maybe he can, maybe he can deliver on something? 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Or tweet us using the hashtag IndivisibleRadio. And let's go to Nick in South Plainfield, New Jersey. Nick, hi, you're on the air. Hi, uh, it's a pleasure. How are you, how's everybody doing tonight? We're all great. Great. Yeah. All right. What's um, changed for you, Nick? I I was telling the individual that I spoke with earlier, um, Republican, and I, I identified quite well with the uh, caller you had earlier, where uh, we seem to find ourselves as somewhat of a dying breed. Uh, not so much of a quick draw, push and shove, uh, argue with everything a Democrat has to say type of Republican, but more or less apt to listening to a point and hearing all the sides and facts and opinions and everything else that comes attached. Um, you know, I, I, I don't identify myself as a Trump supporter, but I identified myself with the party, and I, and I thought the man, being the individual that they were pushing forward, would bring forth the party that would have the people to help him and guide him along the way. And just some of the actions, uh, you know, being in the military myself, some of the actions I've seen in the way we seem to be at least in perspective to other countries and foreign lands, the way we are handling ourselves is a bit, uh, it's a, it's weary to me. It's, I guess is the softest way to put it. And it's kind of, kind of got me a little frightened. Mm. So that's what 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 are the things that got you particularly frightened? Is there anything that stands out? I uh, just the, the way we the the way we're approaching. Um, for example, I, I don't. I wasn't necessarily a proponent of what we did in response to uh, the gassing and everything that was going on um, in Syria. I didn't like the fact that we attacked. And we, we we responded with a bomb immediately, and then we we attacked an airport. Uh, I wasn't exactly happy with the comments he made about an entire an entire force responding to Korea, and it, it ended up being that it was just a, it was a false fact that he, he threw out there, like a lot of the other false facts he throws out. Um, that these these things, we need somebody that is going to represent us in a professional manner, and I don't feel like it's been very professional, and I think that's. On the stage we're at now, especially what's happening in Europe and the events that have occurred, even within the last week or so, we need somebody that can be a catalyst to get everybody together. And I feel like America and its leaders used to be those that group, and it's I don't feel like that's us anymore. I hear what you're saying there, Nick. There's a way in which the world's problems do have a habit, though, of landing on America's 
doorstep. So I suppose my question back to you might be, would you rather that Donald Trump had stayed true to his original DNA or what looked like his political DNA? I think Kai referenced this in the intro. And just, has he not got involved with anything very much? Would that have been really practical or satisfactory to you as an American who clearly thinks a lot about these things? I, I don't think we have the choice... I don't think any leader in that position would have the choice to just not be involved at all. Uh, but I do think there is a right and a wrong way, a diplomatic way of handling ourselves. And I think, I think that's what we've gotten away from. We, we seem to be making more rash decisions, uh, trying to show a force of hand, trying to show might. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the correct approach. I know a lot of people, a lot of my counterparts in the military will disagree and say that we've been too mm -hmm. soft for too long and that this is exactly what we need. Let's build up the forces again and get ourselves, get the numbers up. But I don't think, I don't think that's the way the world is going to work as a unit. The world is no longer country divided by country. We are, we are more of a single entity than we ever have been before. And we need to be able to work together. And I I just don't think I don't think the way we're handling ourselves and making it us against them and in that kind of fashion. I, I just don't see it being positive. And I would I have liked him to have stuck to more of the isolationist mm -hmm. fact that he wanted to stick to. No, um, but I'd like him to be more diplomatic about the actions he's taking now. So. Yes, clear enough. Thanks. Thanks for that, Nick. Let's try to get one more in before we have to take a break. Stacy in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Stacy, hi. You're on the air. Hi there. Um, contrary to the other people who have called in, I uh, have switched my mind. I've changed my mind much in the other direction. I, I'm still definitely not his biggest fan, and I frankly think the things he's done right were not his decision. I don't think he is well enough educated on the situation in the Middle East, for example, to have made that call. But who I have more faith in the idea that it isn't going to be t sort of the destruction of the union. Uh, and went during the election and and after he won, I was pretty sure this was uh, as catastrophic as it could be. He's a you know billionaire accused wow. of sexual assault on many fronts. I, Quick, because we're get, I, quickly because that's such a stark change, Stacey. I want to know what is it? What changed your mind? Um, opposite again to the other people who have spoken, I think that intervention with Bashar al-Assad, specifically the president of Syria. Um, specifically is is well overdue and we didn't bomb syrian people um and bashar al-assad has bombed syrian people for six years uh and 11 million people have been misplaced from their homes and you know hundreds of thousands of people have died at his hands and i i do think that doing something about that and in such a controlled way was overdue and was the right move and all of the Syrian leftists I know feel the same way, that they're hopeful that he takes, that the Trump administration takes some greater role in supporting Kurds and in opposing Bashar al-Assad. Stacey, can you stay with us? We have some follow-up questions for you, but we have to take a quick break. Tonight, it's all three of your rotating Monday night hosts, and we're getting as many calls as possible in for the hour, so please call us. After the break, we're going to hear, we want to ask from military families. We'll be right back. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you 
tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Indivisible, Public Radio's national conversation about America in a time of change. I'm Anne McElvoy, here from The Economist. And I'm John Prudeau, also here from The Economist. And from WNYC Radio, I'm Kai Wright. I'm hoping, do we still have Stacey on the line? Stacey, are you with us? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm Oh, here. thank you so much. Thank you for sticking around. So my question to you, clearly President Trump's foreign policy such as it's been so far, has changed your mind a little bit. But when you started speaking, you talked about your fears right at the beginning after the inauguration that this might be you know, the end of the union. Um, I know you were being a bit hyperbolic for effect. That was but, hyperbolic, yeah. But, but were there th- are there things domestically that have reassured you as well? Uh, frankly, not so much. I, I think <laughs> a lot of his appointments have been nothing short of insane. Um so but, it's really that one, it's the one thing, it's the Syria red line enforcing that made you think, okay, this is uh, a president who's got some reasonable advisors around him, um, who seems to act in, I mean, if we, the reporting suggested that he was presented with a series of options and he chose, uh, you know, uh, one that seemed kind of more proportional yeah. than some of the others. So it was that, it it's not, you haven't suddenly decided actually, you know, domestically, things kind of, maybe it's going to be okay. You're, you're still pretty worried about the domestic front. It's just on, on foreign policy, you think he looks less rash than you thought he might be going into this. Yes, I'm, I'm grateful he's reneged on his promise to pull out of NATO or reassess his NATO situation or whatever. But him announcing on national television that over a piece of chocolate cake, we had bombed Iraq and he had to be corrected uh, I think the interviewer said, well, you you bombed Syria, uh, I think speaks to the truth that it's a really very little difference to him. And it is not him who uh, totally understands or I think he probably got himself into something he was deeply unprepared for. But again, Bashar al-Assad is a tyrant by any standard and has brutalized his people for a long time. And uh, our alliance with our our tolerance of Turkey's belligerence in that uh, sort of tiptoeing around that for so long, I think has has perpetuated a lot of violence. And I am hopeful that we would play some kind of cooperative role in alleviating the pain in Syria. And, and you know, to the other callers who called in and said they think it was rash for him to suddenly bomb Syria, he didn't bomb Syria. Syria is being bombed by their president and by the Islamic State, but he bombed an air force or an air base. Um, and I, I think that that was overdue and an appropriate signal that I was grateful for, and I hope it is communicating uh a greater responsibility for the safety of the Syrian people. Thank you for your call, Stacey. And that's interesting. We, I, I have heard, we've heard on previous nights of Indivisible, other folks who were opposed to Trump, but when he bombed Syria, thought, huh, 
we're on to something. So that certainly seems to be a trend. Tonight, we are taking as many of your calls as possible for this, our last Monday night of Indivisible. And so here for these next 20 minutes, we've been asking you about what has changed in your politics over the last 100 days. We've already heard from one milita- from one service member, and we want to hear from more folks like that over these next 20 minutes or so. If you are in a military family, if you're on active duty or someone you love is on active duty, we'd like to hear from you right now. We've had there, – there have been military operations in Yemen, in Syria, and in Afghanistan, 59 cruise missiles in Syria, as we've just heard, uh, the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan. So we, a lot has happened on this front. We want to hear from military families. Call us at 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255 or tweet using the hashtag Indivisible Radio. We've heard from from you guys a lot over the course of this series, and it's been some of our most illuminating calls. So we want to make sure to wrap up with you, military families, 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. And and as some of those calls are coming in, quickly as our our resident globalist, I guess, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, uh, uh, people have a lot to wrap their heads around just this week alone, right? I like the idea of being all globalist. The world is on my shoulders in this (laughs) section. Well, yeah, we do indeed. And the runoff in the French election that it it is now uh, looming in a couple of weeks after the first round between Emile Macron, who stands for that broadly pro-European, EU-European, liberal worldview, open borders, and against him, Marine Le Pen, the only candidate in a big election who I think can challenge Trump for the strength of her views on the nationalist right. So it's a very stark divide there in in France. And I think the outcome will be very important for Europe, but also for that transatlantic relationship. The rising pressures in North Korea, we've touched on already, but particularly that Chinese involvement. I think we've almost forgotten that after a great amount of hoopla in the run-up to the visit, President Xi kind of came and went a bit because the Syria crisis blew up. But this is going to test Washington's relations with Beijing. Let's not forget the German relationship. It's a crucial bridge there from Donald Trump to Europe. And Ivanka Trump is going to go and uh, meet Angela Merkel, because I think it's a pretty well-known fact in Berlin, the city I used to cover, that uh, Donald and uh, Angela Merkel don't get on terribly well together. <laughs> so I think Ivanka Trump is being sent, uh, sent there as the advance party. And what's your sense of how foreign governments who deal with the Trump administration have changed their view of it um, over these past hundred days? I think there was something, John, pretty close to to panic when Donald Trump got elected in most capitals. There was perhaps Vladimir Putin was it was an exception, all sorts of complicated reasons, but he could see some sort of raison d'etat, something that would be useful to him in Donald Trump. Most leaders, I think, felt very unsettled. The general sense is that they've been in getting used to him mode. The Theresa May visit, um, British Prime Minister, was criticised. I was in the US at the time. I think back at home here in Britain, a lot of people thought she'd maybe rushed in to to greet him too early, but he behaved okay. He hasn't turned out to be a a stooge of Vladimir Putin, or if he's a stooge, he's an unreliable stooge. And that was a great worry for me. I think, you know, probably like a lot of people who'd be based in Moscow previously, we really did uh, consider that to be quite a a risk. And though we've had a lot of very interesting calls, very challenging calls there uh, on that uh, use of of, of bombing and the air power, I was about to say, but let's call it what it is, uh, of bombing um, Assad targets in Syria. Well, yes, 
but that was an Obama red line that really arguably should have been pleased. So I think there's been a sense that he has responded proportionately there. And on North Korea, well, the waiting game is still on. Um, and I think one of the things, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear tonight is what military families are now thinking about this. There is an awful lot on the plate of the American military. So we'd, we'd love to hear from you um, all on that. If you're a military family, has he done pretty much what you'd have expected from Hillary Clinton or indeed anyone else, maybe with different motivations, do give us a call. It's 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Or tweet us all using hashtag Indivisible Radio. And so let's get back to the calls. Donna in Columbus, Ohio, I believe is, uh, is you are National Guard, I believe. So someone uh, who, who has to face some of the stuff that Anne's been talking about. Welcome to Indivisible, Donna. Hi, how are you doing? Very well. What's, what are you thinking about now? Uh, well, I've definitely been uh, keeping my eye on Trump uh, all the way through the primaries, um, just because he was somebody who, at least at the beginning, made it sound like he was all for scaling down the military, scaling down our involvement in other nations. Um, and that seemed pretty much to be the case, uh, you know, the first couple months. But then, you know, we were expecting the military to continue to decrease in size and just recently the increase in, you know, the budget for the military, while it's technically great, you know, it's it, it's not what we expected. So I've, I've changed my mind about uh, initially thinking he was going to be very benign. And now, especially with these kind of, um, in, in some people's opinion, unwarranted, uh, you know, military advances, um, as well as his uh his pick for, you know, Secretary of Defense, which, you know, right around the inauguration, or sorry, the uh, the election, nobody knew what his policies were going to be. Nobody knew uh, who was going to be uh, kind of taking over the military efforts. So now I think I, I, I'm sharing the opinion of many of my other soldiers that were kind of, were extremely more anxious because we didn't expect this. And Donna, can I ask you, you mentioned the budget. So, so you were sort of going into this thinking, all right, well, he's going to, it's going to be better for our jobs, right? He's going to, he's going to put more money into the military. Is that, is that correct? Is that? No, it's uh, leading up to um, the the new election. Uh, The scale down was already happening. So standards were, you know, being raised and people were being chaptered out. So we were expecting that trend to continue. And now with, you know, this increase in spending, there's that what's obvi- what would logically follow that is, you know, kind of an uptick in everything that we've been used to and the expectations we've had of what's going to be expected of us and what standards are going to have. So there's this sort of increase in, you know, jobs, increase in the size of units in many places. But that kind of runs contrary to things like the um, continuing resolution, which puts a lot of things, you know, kind of up in the air again. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Donna. We Thanks. we've been we've been talking a lot about Syria tonight, um, so I do want to get in a caller, Karam from Minneapolis. Karam, welcome to Indivisible. You're on the air, and and I believe that uh, you are a Syrian immigrant, correct? I am a Syrian immigrant, and I'm currently uh, a U.S. citizen, and I still hold my Syrian citizenship. And I want to say that I'm very disappointed when I hear uh, 
um, Americans uh, um, speaking in our name. Like uh, I heard uh, a caller um, uh, saying that she was very happy that uh, um, uh, Mr. Trump bombed an Amer- a Syrian base, and that's because Mr. Assad is bombing his own people. But I want to say, like, who allows any American citizen to speak of the, in the name of any Syrian citizen? I mean, there are many, many, many Syrian citizens who support Mr. Assad, and he they support his uh, uh, war against terrorists and Islamic State and Al-Qaeda in Syria. And then when I hear that um, uh, American citizens are just congratulations, Mr. Trump, for bombing Syria, I, I just feel so disappointed that after the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, uh, no evidence in Iraq of weapons of mass destruction, still no evidence that uh, Syria, the Syrian government bombed Khan Sheikhoun, that I still hear American voices congratulating Mr. Trump for another war in Syria. This is very, very disheartening and disappointing. Can I possibly just challenge that and say it might be disappointing if you've decided that the best thing to do is to let Bashar Assad sort of run riot in his own country with the immense loss of life and indeed, you know, the great waves of refugees that are flowing from your country, which has just had such a terrible recent few years. Is there no side of you? And I'm not saying take a side of any other bit of the, the Syrian, you know, don't take a side in the civil war, but it feels that America should look to other countries in this plight, that that is partly what its greatness in the world consists of. It doesn't just turn the other cheek when other countries are suffering, and it does try to get engaged, doesn't always get it right. You might be right about that, but why on earth on this occasion would you recommend that America stayed silent? Well, because I do not believe that the United States uh, is interfering in Syria because of the atrocities in Syria. Uh, the United States is interfering in Syria because it has uh, interest there. Otherwise, the United States would have interfered in North Korea. It would have interfered in many other countries where many atrocities are being committed. So um, we all knew that what happened in Iraq because the United States interfered to save, and that's quote-unquote, to save the Iraq people from the brutal Saddam Hussein. And here we are, 10 years later, the, United States, the Iraq is in no better shape um, uh, than, than prior uh, to Saddam Hussein ousting. So, yeah, I do not want any interfere, any foreign interference in Syria, because that does not bring but misery to the Syrian people, and specifically American... Uh, yeah, you are telling the Russians to go home as well, or is it, is it just Donald Trump? The Russians are in Syria um, invited by the legitimate Syrian government. The, uh, the United States bombing Syria without any invitation from any um, legitimate government in Syria. So, yes, I totally agree that the Russians are there to help the legitimate Syrian government versus an uh, illegal, in the illegal unilateral bombing of Syria by um, the, the United States or, or what they call allies. Well, listen, th- thanks for the spirited call, but you and I have got a very different view of, of what a legitimate uh, government is there, I think. So th- thank you for calling, Karam. So we, we have uh, a range of opinions coming on Syria. It's clearly been an important step in this presidency in the past 100 days was was, was this 
was the decision to, to, to bomb Syria. Let's, let's keep get hearing from callers, particularly service members and their families. And let's go to TJ in Cherry, New Jersey. TJ, welcome to Indivisible. You're on the air. Hi, how are you doing? We're well. Um, We're well. Okay, great. Yeah, well, in my past 100-day experience with, uh, the, new, with the new uh, Donald Trump administration, I've lost a lot of faith in the, uh, in the, in the American process and a lot of uh, how, things, how things are supposed to work in this country or what I, was belie- what I believed this country was supposed to be like. I've lost faith in a lot of it because of um, certain instances. For instance, uh, our, our, the head of our uh, legal system is dropping all charges for any, uh, any, any police-related uh, matter against any African-American males. And yet, like, I'm first generation in this country. Some people would call me an anchor baby, but I also serve for, I've also served this country. So that's the, there's a duality in this, there's a duality in this entire, uh, from this entire administration that is pretty much contradictory to what I believe America is supposed to be. And that's my real issue with, uh, the Trump administration. So, so nothing and changed for the you. Then. That... Come again. So, TJ, nothing changed for you in the way you were looking at this from for over the past hundred days. No, a lot has changed for me. I've lost a lot of faith in the. Uh, I've lost a lot of faith in the process of watching this and watching this uh, calamity take place. Like, for instance, we're, we're talking about Syria, the Syria strike. I've watched two separate uh, two separate operations take place under this administration that were poorly planned and poorly executed, and it's like it's showing uh, it's showing a bad face for our military at this point. And like, I think that the uh, the the causality behind them were were justified. I think that the uh, the rationale behind making these things take place were justified. But I think that the the botched attempt to to get a to get an underscore or to get a headline is the is the issue with the with the direction of the country heading forward tj you describe yourself as an anchor baby so your family story is is an immigrant story and typically i found reporting in america immigrants are among the most kind of optimistic actually about america and the american promise and the american dream and so forth i was wondering you sound pretty gloomy about politics for the moment but do you remain sort of optimistic about the country or has what's happening politically sort of uh, eroded that that optimism no i feel i feel great and uh i feel very optimistic in the american resolve the the thing i feel gloomy like so to speak or um or downtrodden by is the process in which that the process in which this is taking place and the 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 establishments that are being upheld and the establishments that are being that are being uh that are being trampled i just think that there is a underlying there's an underlying message that's being sent to the american people that shows that certain people in this country that have also built this country are not as valued or not as not thank, as uh thank you tj we, we I, thank you for that call we're gonna have to take another quick break when we come back we want to start looking forward what is not being dealt with stay with us this is indivisible public radio's national conversation about america in a time of change 
from WNYC Radio, I'm Kai Wright. And I'm Anne McElvoy from The Economist. I'm John Priddo, also from The Economist. We are your, your three merry hosts all on one night, and it's our final night, of final Monday night of Indivisible. And so, in these last 20 minutes or so together, we want to start looking forward. We've been asking you about the past 100 days, we've been talking about the past 100 days. Now it's time to talk about what's going to come next. We want to know... What has to be, for you, what has to become a priority number one for our elected leaders? And, and this is not just Donald Trump and not just Republicans and really not even just on a federal level. What do you want to see become a priority? Call us at 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. And it can be something super duper local. And might, as, might, as, might even be better if it's really local, honestly. But call us up. Tell us what isn't getting dealt with and what you want to see the people who represent you put on the front burner. 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. And let's get started with Ben in Nashville, Tennessee. Ben, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for taking the call. Glad to have you. Welcome to Indivisible. What, what, Ben? What do you want to see become an out become a, a a priority looking forward? Well, as far as um, you know, I, I'm not going to speak domestically, but internationally speaking, I'd like to see, especially um, you know, Trump's administration and Trump himself. Um, reassure our allies and and that 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 we're going to be good partners to work with that um because you know his his when he came out of the gate he made quite a few people mad the you know the australians and some of our other um, uh, allies in nato and you know when we're doing things internationally I'm, i'm a i'm a soldier and i've been deployed multiple times um and we rely on these guys. I mean, the Australians have been there for us 100%. I've worked with those guys. They're great. Uh, the Brits, same same thing. Um, we've even got, uh, you know, the Polish involved. So we need to bolster our relationship with these people moving forward so that, you know, this, this whole surprise stuff, out of the gate, you didn't talk to anybody about it. You know, let's collaborate with, with minds that have been in it for a long time. Um, so I'd like to see, you know, Trump go down that, that path, you know. And- Ben, you said you've been deployed a couple times. When when were you deployed? Where were you deployed? Uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And so over these past hundred days, I know I'm calling on us to look forward, but over these past hundred days, how much of this sort of working together have you seen? Is it more or less than you expected? Um, Unfortunately, less. Um, I'd I'd like to see him, you know, repair some of these um, relations that he's, kind of damaged with uh, his whole uh, America first. It's almost like uh, spitting in your face type attitude. And um, like I said, you know, we rely on the coalition forces and it's made up. It's not just us. It's coalition forces. And our our neighbors across the pond and uh, way across the pond down under have been helping us out quite a bit. And I, I just, I'd hate to see tensions grow to a point that, you know, when we need them, we don't have them to rely on. They're, they're just going to be less, you know, quick to jump the gun to send us help when we need it. 
Thanks for your call, Ben. We're, we're asking everybody now, looking forward, what do you want to see? What, what are our elected officials, not just Donald Trump, not just Congress, maybe even your local elected officials, what do you want to see people prioritize that they have not prioritized? 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Marilyn in Tallahassee, Alabama. Welcome to Invisible. In You're on the Tallahassee. air. Tallahassee. I'm so sorry, Marilyn. My, my, That's okay. My mother's family is from Alabama, from Tuskegee, Alabama, and I just, you know. Well, that's just right behind, beside us. <laughs> how wonderful. What, what do you want to see us focus, see our elected officials I'm focus very, on? I'm very, Maryland? concerned, and I know that we're not the only ones because I believe I heard recently that Texas had a similar problem, and I have a feeling it's all over. But the gerrymandering means that a lot of us have our voting rights taken away because we are so minimalized that we can't make a difference at all if we're voting different from whatever the block is that they wanted to make more important. Mm. Like to see them take care of that. I know that that there have been some rulings in our favor, but I see absolutely nothing being done about it. And you you feel like it's getting worse? It's it, that it's been getting worse, Mar- Marilyn. It has gotten worse, and it needs to be corrected. Well, that's that's not something that's come up a lot on, in the course of the show, um, but I, I think it, it is something that is on a lot of folks' mind here lately. Marilyn, thanks yeah. for your call. Will in Manchester, Tennessee. Will, welcome to Indivisible. You're on the air. Hi. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say that I think we're not addressing class issues. We're not addressing uh, the needs of workers. I think that you know, back in the late 80s, uh, Ronald Reagan said that a worker-owned economy was a path that benefited the free people. I think we need to start uh, talking about allowing workers to control the wealth created by their labor, to decide what happens with profit rather than just giving it to uh, the elites who have always had money in this country. I don't think Donald Trump's going to do anything about that. I don't think the Democratic Party is about to do anything about that. I think it's time for a new labor movement in this country, and I think it's time for people to stand up and to recognize that even if we have a political democracy, as long as we have no economic democracy, there's no true freedom and there's no true uh, democratic process. Will, can I, I'm gonna, can I ask you, uh, I take a wild guess and think that you were a Bernie Sanders supporter maybe? Um, Bernie Sanders is a little too conservative for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for your call, Will. We are asking folks, what do you want to see prioritized from our elected officials? We've heard something about voting rights. We've heard about allies. Now we've heard about poverty. Give us a call, 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. And, you know, if you were a Trump supporter and there's a particular campaign promise that you have not seen yet that you want to see, tell us about that too, 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. On the issue of allies, while some of those calls are coming in, Ann and John, they, we, we, they called out Brit, the Brits as one of our, as one of our good allies. Um, but we've talked a lot about this over the course of our past 100 days is the relationship with allies. Where, where do you think we stand right now going at, at the end of this? 
Well, I think allies is a, a really interesting word, isn't it? It takes us back, of course, to the Second World War, but also to the Cold War. And that's really the point at which America establishes itself as being that player in the world, the guarantor of basic liberal freedoms. And therefore, it's a bit, a bit ironic, really. I think some people find it even more than ironic to, to look at Donald Trump and think, well, is this, you know, is this going to really be the guy who can stand alongside us uh, in that battle? However, one has to say that perhaps there were more fears about Donald Trump's immediate actions in security and foreign policy. He is surrounded by tough people, quite serious people, one has to say, but you almost on in this front, I think, almost with the exception of one, all male people. But that's there you go. That's Trump world for you. Um, but there is, I think, a, a bit of a tension between whether we expect him to be the kind of ally as per usual, or whether we're now in a very different period, where, if you like, it's a bit of a pick and mix. In fairness, I think uh, you could level that charge, John, at Barack Obama, too. You never quite knew what you were going to get with him. Yeah, there's something of that. Certainly, British uh, politicians worried perennially that Britain had somehow fallen down the pecking order in America's uh, allies during uh, Barack Obama's presidency. I think they would generally quite like to have that problem mm. now. Um, the Obama presidency seems, you know, kind of pretty com calm compared with the Trump one. I just wanted to add to what Anne said. Um, clearly, since Donald Trump became president, there's been a lot of concern about the way that his family is involved in policy making. We see, you know, sort of daily examples mm. of, of that, and that also um, is something that the Allies have cottoned onto. So, if you speak to ambassadors of America's allies in Washington, often the one person they really, really want to get round for dinner is Jared Kushner, um, who is seen as, you know, unsackable because he's the president's son-in-law and, and has the president's ear and, and so on. So, it's very interesting interesting that to me anyway that you know those concerns about you know the president running the white house like a family business you know those are uh, they're not just shared by America's allies. They're, they're trying to sort of work with them to some extent. Well, There's right. A bit of so a soft now, power, isn't there, with Ivanka Trump going off to to Germany? Because I think that might be seen to warm up what would otherwise be a very chilly relationship. But it, it's almost a throwback, isn't it, to uh, to sort of eighteenth, nineteenth century ways of doing diplomacy? You got the entire family involved. Diplomacy is family business. It really is. It's really striking. So, <laughs> listeners, what do you want to see prioritized over the the, the, the coming period? From our elected officials, be they federal, be they local, Donald Trump, Democrats, Republicans, maybe there's a campaign promise you haven't you heard from somebody that particularly the president that you want to you want to see uh, you want to see in action. Eight four four seven four five talk. That's eight four four seven four five eight two five five. Let's go to Crystal in Atlanta. Crystal, welcome to Indivisible. You're on the air. Hey, hey, how are you? Very well. What what do you want to see prioritized? Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be having my first grandchild, and I'm very excited about that, right? Congratulations. It puts a whole new perspective on what you're looking at. So at the, at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of economic things we're concerned about, but I'm more concerned about the future of my, my children and my grandchildren. So that really puts climate change at the beginning of the list. And my concern is about what the current government is trying to do to defund information about climate change as well as there seems to be, you know, kind of, you know, you can argue about, you know, what you do about climate change um, or what's causing climate change. But, but at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that it's happening and that it's probably going to have the best, biggest impact on our future. And, you know, for my children, my grandchildren, it's at the top of the list. 
Crystal, can I jump in there? First of all, congratulations on uh, on grandmotherhood. Um, there's yeah, a ton you. of polling that shows that Americans' parents believe that their children won't be as well off, won't have the opportunities that they themselves had. And this is actually a big change because, you know, typically Americans have been very optimistic about uh, the kind of life chances of their offspring, you know, even in even in tough times. I was wondering from the perspective sure. of a, you know, prospective kind of grandmother, do you think that your grandchild will have more opportunity than you had? I think they will have a different life. It, it, it's how you describe what opportunity is, right? So there's financial opportunity. Um, there's, you know, lifestyle. But then there's also things that relate to what kind of earth will we be living on, right? So, you know, which question are you asking? Well, how about both? I guess, yeah, how about both? <laughs> how about which? How about both? Do, 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 how do you feel about both financial opportunity? And I think it's clear how you feel about what kind of world we're going to be living on. But do you think that financial opportunity is there? Well, I think it's a different world. I think you have to work a lot harder. I think it's, you know, I think that my kids will have, you know, they won't be working for a corporation for 30 years. They'll be moving around. Um, whether, you know, again, what I would say is there is financial opportunity. Are they going to have the 3,500-square-foot house or 5,000-square-foot house? Maybe not, but I don't think that's a measure of quality of life. Hmm. Will they have, you know, clean air? Will they have children that can go to school and can learn? Will they have um, a, a, a good source of food? Will they have a peaceful world that surrounds them? Uh, those are questions that I think are more important. Thank you, Crystal, for your call. Let's go to Edwin in Rush City, Minnesota. Edwin, welcome to Invisible. You're on the air. Hi. So the thing I'd like to see the most out of uh, representatives nationwide, um, the biggest thing that I think we need to address in this nation is gerrymandering. Um, it's, it's not exactly a, a hot topic, you know, that people want to talk about a lot, but, um, you know, I, my own home state of Wisconsin, you know, they recently just looked at how badly things were gerrymandered in the in the most um, recent maps that were drawn up. And even the courts looked at it and said it was terrible enough to where they need to redistrict. Um, right now, you know, they crunched numbers and found, you know, in order for Democrats to take control, they would need 55 percent of the popular vote for the state versus Republicans. Um, congressmen would only need to keep 45 percent to keep a majority. Now, to me, that doesn't sound like democracy, you know, and as computers have become more advanced, it's really, really easy now for when they have the chance to draw up maps for that to just get worse and worse and more out of hand in terms of a, a favoritism towards one party or another. Um, I think that really needs to be addressed nationwide. I think there should be um, an independent group that draws the lines in each and every state. Um, some places have adopted that, but not most. Um, unfortunately, I don't really think either Democrats or Republicans would get behind that. But that's something that I would really like to see. Thank you so much for your call, Edwin. So another voting rights call. That's a, I feel like maybe that's a good way to end our, our 100 days on Monday night is uh, thinking about participation in democracy. But before we go... Let's get our own final thoughts here on these 100 days. Ann, why don't we start with you? What, what, where do you leave us? 
Well, I've spent many late nights in in London, but uh, earlier in uh, large parts of the US with you, and it's been <laughs> so great to hear a, a range of views, a really wide range, and a testing time for America and. Great interest, I think, continuing interest in the role in the world outside America's borders. Let's not forget that. I've certainly learned a lot from listening to these views, not just because they're it's so interesting. Donald Trump is a fascinating and complex character, but because I think we now know that they're much more varied and interesting when we hear the way that people make arguments, how they make them from different parts of the United States and different political stances. So I very much gained from that, and it's just to say really that you can hear more. From me and from John and the rest of our economist colleagues on Economist Radio, you can get it via iTunes or however you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter for some transatlantic takes, and I'm there too at Anne McElvoy. I'll be reflecting on Indivisible and on some other things too. So I guess one thing I've learned is that being a good citizen who's well informed about politics can be absolutely exhausting. You know, at, at times like Trump's first hundred days, there's just too much information to process, um, and that's one reason why people are partisans. You know, if if you start from first principles on absolutely everything, your head is liable to explode. Um, and those partisan reflexes are incredibly powerful, which is why, you know, despite everything that's happened over the past three months, the first hundred days, and despite what we've heard tonight from our callers who have actually changed their minds, the polls suggest that hardly anyone has actually changed their minds about President Trump so far. Yeah. Um, uh, the Economist will keep on sifting through what matters from what doesn't during this presidency and always trying to get beyond that kind of partisan thinking. If you're interested in my own personal musings, then you can find me on Twitter at John Prado. <laughs> your, your musings will be informative, I am I sure. Muse. I, you know, I, what I take away from the calls I've been hearing is that everybody's confused about where they fit into the future. And after, you know, we've had something close to a, a generation of upheaval since really 2001. We've had wars, we have economic anxiety, we've had social upheaval. And so everyone's trying to figure out where they fit in and they've got not a lot of faith in our political leaders. And so what I'm going to be doing is following up on that anxiety in our podcast, The United States of Anxiety. Um, you should subscribe if you haven't. And we're going to keep having this conversation there. Tomorrow on Indivisible. WNYC's Brian Lehrer talks again to Fareed Zakaria, plus the results of our StoryCorps project. That's tomorrow night on Indivisible. And we want to say thanks to everybody who joined us tonight. And for the past 14 weeks, your calls have been screened by mainly by some wonderful people. Ursula Summer, Sam Anderson, Bijan Ro Ro Bijan Roganchi, sorry, Bijan, and help from Sarah Kari, Justin Dom, and Rahimi Nasa. Nasa. Paige Cowett is the Monday Night producer, and Megan Ryan is our executive producer. From WNYC, I'm Kai Wright. And I'm Anne McAlvoy from The Economist. I'm John Prado, also from The Economist. We will not see you next week, but thanks so, so much for spending this time with us. The rest of the Indivisible folks will be with you starting tomorrow night. Support for Indivisible is provided in part by Emerson Collective, the Ford Foundation, and the Jacob and Valeria Langloth Foundation. If you like the Indivisible podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.